0: Hey, welcome to another edition of Her Talks. I am Renee Smith, your host. I am interviewing uh, Camille Underwood, and I am so excited to have her on. I met her at the Minority Mental Health Summit, and I bet you're thinking, wow, this is the second person (laughs) that you've interviewed from that summit. When I tell you that summit was amazing, it was amazing, and I definitely plan on attending again next year. But um, I met Camille and I started chatting with her and I was just intrigued with her um, background with the education system because it's a little bit different than what I've typically heard. Um, She wasn't really a teacher and she was working in special education, but she was really doing therapeutic techniques with students and students that were challenging, let's say. Um, And I was just so intrigued by what she's doing. And I'm so excited for her because she has recently started her own company and um, Um, as you know, her talks is all things business black and blended. And this conversation definitely taps into all three areas. Um, so sit back and listen to some conversation, um, that we had kind of detailing some of the the toxicity that remains in our culture that is anti you know mental health anti-wellness and how to kind of overcome those things I'm very much solution focused and so is Camille so please check out this conversation with her and I finding solutions to some pretty heavy topics and um so, yeah, I would love to also hear some of the comments as well that you might have on these topics. So, you know, you can find me on herbyrene.com or Her by Renee on Facebook as well as Instagram. All right, let's get into it. Hey, welcome to another edition of Her Talks with Renee. I'm sitting here with my guest, Miss Camille Aleem Underwood. Um, And we're gonna just kind of talk a little bit about the state of education and mental health and just entrepreneurship, so I'm really excited to get started. So, Camille, will you introduce yourself? I sure will, I sure will. I'm
1: Camille. Underwood, <laughs> and I am a um, consultant, I have a consulting company called Camille Underwood Consulting. and very um, catchy name. <laughs> is it? Well, look, I've been told that it's too long, my email and all that, so I'll figure out a way to abbreviate it at some point, but for now, right. that's what it is. Right, but then that's how um, we'll find you. Yes, absolutely, but my um, primary focus is educational consulting. Um, I've been a mental health worker in the special education field, public school in Birmingham, for almost 10 years. Um, And my experience in that setting, um, coupled with the fact that I'm a mother of two uh, young men who have grown up and are still in school right now, I've just had so many experiences and observations as it relates to education and um, social and emotional education has become something that is just primary for me because you can have a kid who makes a 4.0 and all types of great grades on the ACT but has no idea how to deal with difficult situations and stress and we applaud, applaud, applaud and go yay and they go off to college and their first C, they're suicidal and they don't know how to manage failure. They don't know how to manage disappointment. And so supporting our kids and helping them fare well emotionally, that's where my focus has been so long that at this point, that's the work that I um, emphasize Bye. with professional developments and consultations
0: and that kind of thing, so okay, that's what I do. Well, how did you how did you get into that? Because that's not always the typical route that we see and talk about emotionally, and mental health, mm-hmm. mental health like in schools, like that seems fairly recent because we weren't really doing that, uh, at least when I was in school. Nobody talked to me. I mean, we had happy emotions. That's one of the right. things we talked about like in second grade, but outside of that, when I got to middle school and high school, we didn't talk about emotions right. Any- anymore. Right, Yeah, and I think culturally, that's <laughs> not something that we, in our community,
1: African-American community, that we typically right. talk about anyway, but I kind of got baptized by the fire. Um, as a mental health professional, I took on a contract with Birmingham City Schools Special Education Department for, um, I wish the audience can see my air quotes, for a therapeutic <laughs> program. Quote, quote. <laughs> for a therapeutic program that served students whose emotional and behavioral issues were so severe that it disrupted their ability to operate mm-hmm. in a general education environment. And so the program was designed to self contain those students and provide them with the social and emotional support that they needed in order to improve and get, you know, well enough or stable enough to go back into a regular education setting. Um, That's pretty revolutionary. I think so. You know, um, and most of the time, I guess clinically, you would probably call it a day treatment. You know, for oh,
0: yeah, school-age kids,
1: um, but you typically don't see that in a public school environment. Right. Um, once I started, though, I did realize that Hoover has a program similar to that. Wow. Um, even an entire campus devoted to kids who just don't really fare well in your typical. General education um, setting. Interesting. And so it really became an opportunity to focus on student needs and understand that okay, everything ain't for everybody. Even though you just the only opportunity you have might be public school, but if your ADHD or your mood disorder or even your schizoaffective disorder is impacting you in a way that you really cannot manage in class and in a distracting environment, to offer you a setting where you can actually begin to settle down a little bit and get the support that you need through counseling, through access to a psychiatrist, through case management, um, through social and emotional learning. You know, understanding that if you're self-aware and you understand your own triggers, then you have the opportunity to empower yourself with change. You know, you have an opportunity to set goals for yourself and say, okay, I wanna move beyond an environment like this. I would like to go back to my school and exist with uh, my own peers and I I wanna improve. You know, I wanna improve my behavior. I wanna improve my grades or whatever that is. And so starting that curriculum and really (laughs) doing the research on my own to figure out because my training as a therapist, I didn't really know how Mm -hmm. to um, combine, you know, the skills, of individual therapy and group therapy with helping a kid put those skills into play in an academic setting and understanding the impact of academic frustration (laughs) on behavior and on mood. If you can't read and you're in a classroom environment, Everything is going over your head, and then the spotlight is shown on you when the teacher goes, well, Johnny, read that passage for me. You know, and the frustration and the embarrassment and the humiliation that comes from the fact that, okay, not only do I not understand what you're talking about, it's embarrassing for me to even try to read this passage. And so um, you really got that combination of kids who had the academic struggles and reading and math and other areas Mm. as well as the behavioral issues.
0: How would a parent find out this information because I had no idea that any of this existed, so how did how did you get connected to the resources? Well,
1: that's <laughs> interesting, <laughs> um, and I, I think a lot of other districts have access to resources and it's about asking, you know. Okay. Um, I think unfortunately the, the program I worked in, you had to already be uh, under the special education umbrella sure. to receive the actual services, okay. which is really a part of what moved me to start doing this work. I guess it's my own take on educational reform because mm-hmm. not every kid who struggles emotionally has a mental health diagnosis. True. You know, growing up, adolescence, puberty comes with right. a, an abundance, abundance of emotional stuff. Right. But if there's no one there to help you manage that and kind of guide that process, then it might turn into something more severe. You know, you couple that with the culture of social social media. You've got cyberbullying, yes. You've right. got the mean girl groups who are just really, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, different, it's yeah, a different, it's a different world. it's a different world. It's a different world and realizing that there's a construct available to any schools that really Shift the culture and focus on social and emotional learning as well as academics. Because old school is right. character development. just about say, you yeah. know, and I, I <laughs> I'm tapping myself on my hand because I've <laughs> vowed not to use the terminology old school because it's, right, it's useless. Right, excuse me. I can't really be old school, and I've got this iPhone right here. You know what I mean? I like right. get my car, i relying on this camera to help me back out. Right, right. So it's like I can't. I have to just take it all together and realize this is where we are. Right. Generationally, this is a culture that we're in. Right. And what, what can I do as an individual to help shift and change that culture to make it a culture that we're not trying to run away from, we're not trying to escape from, right. we're not having all these uh, traumatic issues and shootings like we're having left and right because the culture doesn't really support people who are emotionally fragile. Right. And once we begin to use language to recognize that we're all emotionally fragile, for real, for real. Right, right. <laughs> we all struggle with something, exactly. you know, and understanding that a person can only be as successful at the level of support that they receive. You know, and some people are super successful,
0: but they've right. got a training team right. lifting right. them
1: up and providing right. them with
0: everything that they need. Right. You know, um, support is extremely important, and I don't, and I feel like sometimes we, we don't emphasize enough. The reason why certain people are the way they are or where they are is because they had the support that they needed in mm-hmm. order to get them through. So you can give two individuals the same circumstances, but because somebody had somebody there believing in them and supporting yep. them and taking them to places and putting them in programs where somebody that's could talk to them and yeah. reading to them and doing all these other things, they're not going to have the same outcomes. Mm-hmm. as a kid who was, you know, left alone, left in front of the TV, and that's how they see the world, is right. through the lens of TV, which we know is not real. Yeah. But for a child who isn't taught how to regulate certain things, this is how, oh, this is what men do. Okay, so this is what I'm going to do. Oh, this is what women do. Okay. This is how women act. This is how I'm supposed to do it in order to get that. If their whole world is framed around how the media kind of portrays it, and especially now we have social media where you have girls who are, you know, getting blood implants and injections and stuff at younger and younger ages, I mean, in your teens. Your body's not even fully developed yet, and you're already changing the way you look in order to fit a certain stereotype of what you think somebody should look like, or what you think you should look like, other than what you do. Yeah, we're all emotionally fragile, because if we weren't, we wouldn't buy into the things of how you're supposed to be versus how you actually are. Yeah, we're all selling that dream, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, so so yes, I totally agree with that, and I think for young kids who are still developing and in an awkward state. I remember being in 5th and 6th grade and being super awkward, right? Mm-hmm. But y'all ain't seen on pictures? <laughs> not yet. <You> know, <laughs> not yet. I'm hiding them. Somebody probably listening right now. Oh, right, for I real? Mean, yeah, mm, tag. post this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I'm going to log out on my Facebook. But um, I didn't have to share that with anybody, right. you know, that I didn't want to. Now, you know, you could be doing the most mundane thing. I saw um, I think the other day, it was a woman, so they had this tractor, this little yellow tractor or truck just sitting out on the sidewalk, and it was like, oh, that's a cool um, costume. I was Ooh. like, oh, it's gonna be one of those Transformer things, but what it was, was a, an older lady walking who fell. So the purpose of the video wasn't that, it was to get you to watch so you think that that, that vehicle was gonna move, but it was really about making fun of the individual who fell. And I remember thinking like, you can't do anything. You know how many times I've fallen in my life? I remember right now in high school, I fell over this whole thing in front of, there was like four buses of people. <laughs> Guess what though? That stayed with those four buses. That's a lot of people. But I don't have to have that made into a meme. Right. I don't have to have, you know, I remember maybe it was three, four years ago, there was the, um, it was a young girl that was um, sexually assaulted. Mm. Her name started with a J I think and they had like the J challenge where she was there was a picture taken of her laid out intoxicated and there were people who would actually try to pose like her intact. And, right. and I just remember thinking where are we <laughs> as a society that, live- <gasps> Yeah, where this is okay yep. where you can have open conversations about a horrible event, but it's not because the event was horrible, but it's because you're making fun of the victim. Yeah. And I, I know there's always been victim blaming. We've we've had that discussion, but to know like now, it's, it's at a whole nother level where it never goes away because now it's on the internet and people are doing challenges based upon your worst day. Um, so it makes things really different for you. Hi. Hi. We're at the library, so if you hear kids in the background, I promise you it's not my kids. <laughs> I picked the library purposely because there's, I just love books. Yeah. And I always feel like when I was younger, I've always had a really good imagination. Like books really helped me mm. deal with a lot of stuff, helped me cope with some things. And I, I picked a place where I felt good and safe and we're also in the little kid area which y'all know I love kids and obviously you do too <laughs> yeah. like we just can't get enough you have some at home you're helping them in the community like yeah I, oh, hey, I'll tell you what's interesting for
1: me coming here just really flooded me with memories of when my boys were you know five and seven and I remember using the library as a safe space for me and the boys um, i a single mom I don't have family here in Birmingham and okay. on weekends I just felt like it was I had to clock in to just we would get out the house and have to have somewhere to go right and right we'd come to um, any library for the little reading hour um, opportunities for them to just see other kids and
0: <laughs> that is purple very good yes
1: but it's but so coming in here i remember intentionally coming into the space to feel safe and feel like okay my boys are well protected here and right. we just kind of come in and enjoy and learn and grow and then go to Chick-fil-A and eat and play. You know, <laughs> right, That's That was pretty
0: right, much right, what a Saturday right. looked like for us. That's why, for this, outside of sports, that's pretty much our Saturdays yeah. as well, which I never imagined my life being anything of sports. I never played sports. Yeah, um, This was what I did. I was a reader, a writer. Um, so my, my mom always says, I, I never expected you to marry your husband because <laughs> he's all about, like, fitness and getting out and moving and... It's a good balance, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you have how many boys? Four. Yeah, you couldn't mm-hmm. avoid sports. <laughs> So that's just so, part yeah. of it. But see, if I had been with someone else, I probably would have got a girl, you know? So, and <laughs> then we would have been sitting and reading together, but I didn't, I didn't get that. So my, yeah. my oldest does sit and read with me, but the other ones, they'll, they'll read a little bit, and then they're like, okay, what's next? Let's right. get another book. she's so, busy, busy, busy. Right, but wow. I think it's, it's important for us as a community to have these conversations about our emotional health, our mental health, oh, mm-hmm. and to not look at it as a sign of weakness on both sides. For some reason in our community, strength it's seen as silence Mm -hmm. and it's seen as anger Mm. and those are ways that we are able to express it you don't talk about it or if you do you better be very pissed off because you're not gonna cry right right (laughs) you better not cry and that's on both sides even for women and i i feel like that's so detrimental because so many of our kids just need to cry bad stuff has happened to them. Right, they so many need. adults just right. need to cry. Right, <laughs> shoot, I probably need to cry.
1: <laughs> oh honey, I do. <laughs> but no, it's, as we were speaking, I um, keep thinking about when the boys were younger and of course the stigma and stereotype right. of raising two young African-American males uh, as a single woman right. and um, being environment, in environments that I was The only I would be at the barbershop with them, and be a part of the you know barbershop chatter and and listening and paying attention, and sometimes participating, and then the cultural aspect of. One of them falling or bumping their heads and me kissing them, oh, you about to make that boy pump. Don't he? he can handle yeah. it, man up. But guess what? Yeah. When you bump your head, I don't care what it age, hurts. it hurts. And you don't want someone going, oh, you gonna be all right. No. Right. It's okay to be supportive right. emotionally without right. impacting their masculinity. You right. know? Um, and there's just so many things that we need to look at as a community. My oldest boy studies Black masculinity right. and how um, culturally it impacts men and, and how they're raised and how they see themselves. Interesting. And so, yeah, we've had lots of conversations about their childhood growing up in my house. They are the least ashy boys you ever want to <laughs> say. Yeah. Because they were raised by a woman and we moisturize every single day. And their oh, friends right. will be like, Oh my God, you put on lotion every day. And they're like, Yeah, yeah. You
0: know? why don't you? <laughs> Right. So when I your skin mean, is cracking in the winter, don't come looking this way.
1: But you know, you might look at that as something small, but there are some guys who feel like that's a sign of weakness to, to literally. And you know, you think about that's an ultimate form of self-care. Right. Literally moisturizing. Right. You know, I like to throw in some positive self-affirmations during that process. I've never started
0: Yeah, I've never. Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: but that process of you doing what your skin needs is adding that moisture right. and people look at it as a, a feminine um, right. routine. Right. It's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, just the opportunity to look at stuff and say, what purpose does this really serve? You know, why do we think, act, and feel this way? Right. If we never examine it, we're going to keep doing the same things, right. expecting a different result. Right. You already know what that, that's the definition right. of. Right, right. So, Insanity. Exactly. Insanity.
0: Which is so. why I think so many of our communities continue the same cycle of hurt. Mm-hmm. You have these people who can't express anything, but the only time you can is to pour out some liquor because somebody passed away. Yeah. And I just feel, you know, I, I shared with you that my cousin was was murdered, and you know how that impacted how I saw things differently, mm-hmm. and because I always saw them, you know, as my little cousins, and yeah, they would get in a little bit of trouble here and there, but I never really thought that it would it would cost them mm-hmm. this much. Yeah. And I feel like in in this situation, in in our community, we don't talk about the cost, right? So. We, we talk about, yes, single mother households and this and that. They're a detriment to society and all the stuff that people say about single mothers. But we all know how difficult it is to parent and how even these single mothers that people are judging are doing the very best yeah. that they can with the resources or lack of right. resources that they have. And for me, that has always upset me because you, you can judge in your faraway tower, but these women are down here every single day. Yeah, doing the it. And, and I know there's some single fathers that do the same right. thing. And we just, we need to support and do the village mentality versus the point the finger mentality. Right. Yeah. Okay, the babies are here now. Yeah, <laughs> so, so what you gonna do? Yeah, okay, so you feel a certain way. And I get that, you know, but what, I, I told you this earlier, I'm looking for solutions. Mm-hmm for this, I, you know, I'm doing the no news November thing where I'm not really trying to focus on news right now and because like I feel like there's no solution to that. They right. tell you all this bad stuff, the crime rate is up and this and that. Well, how, how do we really actively fight that? And I don't mean just on it because you know, everybody voted on, on the sixth, not just through that because I'm, I'm a big believer in grassroots and us, you know, each one teach one. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the community efforts that you're doing right now, like in Ingle yeah. because that, you know, somebody might look at that and, well, it's, it's 10 kids. Yes, that's 10 lives that you're impacting every week.
1: Yeah, well, that's exciting. And that's really been um, a breath of fresh air for me to be involved with the work that the Firm Foundation is, is doing, the nonprofit uh, organization that uh, supports and organizes uh, the mentoring program at Ingle um and it is it's amazing because you go into a school setting and not really sure what to expect sometimes right. <laughs> um and when we first met the 10 third graders that we work with we didn't really know what to expect right. um we didn't insist that they were your quote unquote cream of the crop we didn't they didn't have to be A, B on the
0: we just
1: wanted kids you know and, and uh, the third grade teachers handpicked some kids for us and they came in that first day and we have been (laughs) rocking and rolling ever since. And the personalities, they're so inquisitive, they're so bright, they're so full of personality and I mean character, they're just awesome kids and we've connected and developed this bond, myself and the other mentors and we bring in um, guest mentors from time to time. to work with the kids and to provide them with exposure to opportunities in in the community that they may not have been closely exposed to before, but um, there's Eva Melton, who's one of the um, mentors, and then Dr. Gray, who Mm -hmm. uh, is a biology professor at UAB. And so she has really helped us formulate, um, we're working on a curriculum that promotes metacognitive learning. And understanding wow. that you've got to pull from pretty much all sides in order to think to a point where you can apply that information right. and make it your own. And understanding that that's an actual deficit within the education system. We typically teach for a test. Right. We teach for kids to absolutely. memorize things um, absolutely, so that they can grasp concepts, but to actually empower a kid with thinking to a point where they make knowledge their own right. and they can apply it and they can actually teach it to someone else you know that is uh, a part of of higher higher thinking that most kids don't get exposed to until college and that becomes a shock because they didn't have to think like that in high school right and you may have made all a's memorizing information right. Right. and not actually applying that concept right. those concepts
0: okay i had to break in I know you hear the noise in the background <laughs> and for that I do apologize but I did pick the library purposely um, the library as Camille has said to has been a safe place for many in the community um, it's a place that's filled with knowledge and hopefully like-minded individuals and I chose it because um, just like Camille I take my kids there regularly And just being in that atmosphere and having all that knowledge around you, to me, is just therapeutic. And I thought it would be a good opportunity for she and I to talk about Some pretty heavy topics in a place who and I didn't even know for her was also mutually kind of therapeutic and um, brought up some good memories. I really want to challenge each and every single person that's listening because I think whether you're a parent or not, I know that you have some way of having a relationship with a child, and I think as an adult, it is important for us to check ourselves, check our own biases that we might hold, Um, even. Against um, ourselves, like different things that I thought about myself, or how I thought that I should parent, or the parent I would be before I became a parent. Um, a lot of times, I, um, you know, have judged myself harshly. And so, I really think the best thing that we can do is one, hold ourselves accountable, find solution-based entities, and really just try to to make our communities a better and safer place. So. Um, after this break, you'll kind of hear some more of our conversation. But I really just want to challenge you. If you have a child in your life, speak life into that child. And I know it can be difficult, especially if you're not seeing what you want to see in that child. This is a perfect opportunity for you to start changing the narrative, not just for yourself, but also for that child. Thanks. We're going to um, talk a little bit more about um just our community mm. and how you know you're you're in Englenook and you're working with these 10 kids and you didn't have any criteria which I find interesting mm-hmm. because a lot of times we come into spaces that we don't know right and we know how to help right oh I did my quotes y'all didn't see that <laughs> quote unquote we know how to help um, and we want certain kids and they need to look a certain way mm-hmm. and I, I think it's refreshing that y'all just said hey give me the kids that y'all have right and, you know and we'll deal with them when they get here right. you know and not just deal with them but like literally like we are here to empower and, and pour into these lives because our lives do matter yeah and i think when we take the time out to have these discussions because these kids are seeing other adults yeah. pouring into their lives that's powerful because kids need somebody in their corner Mm -hmm. because that week y'all might be the only person telling them something positive in their lives right Um, because even for myself i I feel like i'm a learned individual but i find myself sometimes when i'm talking to my son i'm saying a lot more negative stuff Mm -hmm. than i am the positive stuff because these are things i really want you to change but there are certain things about him i don't want him to change and i need to emphasize that more but i just started learning that over the past year (laughs) because my my son bright, bright individual, Mm. but traditionally, like the way school is set up, it just doesn't really work for him. He daydreams a lot, he writes in colors. I remember one time, I'll never forget, last year, his teacher (laughs) sent home a note with the little characters that he had created (laughs) during math class. (laughs) She's like, Daniel was playing with this and taped them on the letter. I was like, she's trying to be smart. Wow, (laughs) wow. But then I started thinking like, wow, how creative is that? Hmm. You know, and so what I started doing for him was tapping into his creativity. Absolutely. How do you do this? Like, how do you want to do this? How do you express that? So he started writing more and drawing more. Unfortunately, he still did sometimes in class too, but um, we're still working on (laughs) it, the the follow directions piece, but as a mother, like not seeing how he's. In class, as a deficit, mm-hmm. because I have my stepson is a rule follower. Everybody just loves him. Wow. He just gets along with everybody teachers, kids, everything. And my biological oldest is a little bit more ambucius, mm. he's a little bit more of a um, boundary pusher. Wow. And so, you know, I had times where I found myself comparing the two. Why can't you yeah. be we like your oh, yeah,
1: That's dangerous.
0: And I never said those words, but I'm sure in, he internalized what I was feeling and thinking because I'd be like, you got in trouble again? Like, I'm always getting some sort of note or something about him talking, and he just gets involved and stuff. I'm like, why can't... Other kids are just sitting in the class, why do you have to be the one to get up and want to help other people and do all this stuff? He ran out of the classroom a couple of weeks ago because when he heard somebody hollering in the bathroom, sir, what are you going to do when you get there? <laughs> Let me know because he' been taking karate that I didn't he's know. He's a
1: future first responder.
0: <laughs> Clearly. Um, but he's got it. And I, you know, I always tell him in order to be a leader, you have to follow first. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I'm really trying to instill in him now. But really changing that narrative for me as a parent, because like I, it's weird, because when I go into in, in environments where quote-unquote there's challenged kids, mm-hmm. I go in there with a different set of armor. Like, okay, I know like there's gonna be some issues that I need to work through, so I need to be more patient. And I'm like, but do you do that at home? Mm-hmm. So then I had to check myself because, you know, he's not a perfect kid, yeah. no kid is. Right. there's, each one has their own deficits and I need to focus on, and it's not even really a deficit. I guess I need to stop saying that. It's it's a difference. Right. And I think as parents... Which is okay. Right. But when you have a certain standard that is, again, standardized, where it's like A, B, and C, but if you have a kid that's X, Y, and Z, it's like, oh, he doesn't fit into this box, write him off. Right. My son's in third grade. Goodness. So, mm-hmm. you know, I talked to Eva before about... The importance of third grade right. and what that means. Do you want to speak a little bit about third grade and like what that threshold is?
1: Yeah. Well, um, we third grade is uh, at least in the public school is that age where that grade level they're beginning to do the standardized tests. Um, it's like they're moving beyond just your basic A B C one two three. Right. Um And there's an expectation of a, a little more intensive workload. Um, Socially and emotionally, they're and they're pushing, you know, closer to those tween right. um, stages, oh, and so geez. we figure that mm-hmm. that and, and the goal too with the mentoring program is to keep this group uh, and track them and work with them until they're in eighth grade. Wow! And so that level of consistency and uh, building a rapport and relationship and the connection that we pray will be long standing right. to help them in yeah. their. Um, areas of academics and social emotional learning to help them just grow. You know, the goal is also to connect with the families at some point, to provide the necessary support if there are any deficits or any needs that are um, understood, if we can provide some resources and step in and work with them. We want to do that as well, but the goal is to meet them at a stage where we can really affect some change and do a little shaping and molding, right. if possible, um, to get them to be where they want to be, you know, help them reach their academic and personal goals, right. help them even understand that in third grade you can set goals and make them short-term. Right. You can say, okay, this is progress report time. I want to improve my grades, you know, from a B to an A or a C to a B or whatever that is, and to put that construct in place where they even understand that, hey, that's actually possible you know, and give them the tools to help them measure it. And then by the time the nine weeks is over, they may see the actual improvement. Right. If not, let's come back to the table and figure out what we need to do better right. the next time. Right. And so that opportunity for growth and development is really what we were focusing in on. First and second, we're just a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> younger. Right, and so figure yeah. um, yeah. so third grade, was kind That's of hitting it right that. on that mark. Right, right, yeah.
0: That's, which is exciting. And um, I will say, as a parent, isn't it interesting how you grow with your kids, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I always say this, I'm a firstborn, so I get it. I know my parents oh, wow. did all kind of like, oh, experiments, like, does this work and, and all of that. And I tell my son all the time. The one thing that I feel like um, that I did learn from my parents that they didn't ever really verbalize to me is I always tell him I'm not perfect mm-hmm. and mommy's working just like you're working. And if I make a mistake with him, which I do, sometimes quite often, yeah. um, I own up to it. And I I always apologize to my kids. I'm never above apologizing to them. Because I want them to know that number one, I'm doing my very best just like I'm asking them to do. And then number two, if they catch me in a situation where I'm not being my very best, then we can have that discussion. And I think that's a little bit differently. Now that I'm an adult, I have those conversations with my parents. But as I was growing up, I think those were conversations that I needed to have with my parents just some of the missteps that I saw, and I'm like, this ain't really adding up, you're telling me one thing. Right. You know, but it's, we're all human. We right. do that. Oh yeah. We all do that. But as a kid when you grow up, it seems like that person's lying to you. And detrimental. I to, right. Yeah. And I'm trying to teach my kids, it's not me lying to you. Um, I, I literally think I'm preaching and, and teaching what I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't always. Right. And so, sometimes they can call me out on that, you know, in a respectful way. They gotta watch how they do it, but <laughs> we can still have those conversations. And I feel like y'all are giving these kids a space to have a different sort of relationship with adults. Mm -hmm. So many kids, and you know, I had old school parents too, you know, you have a place Mm -hmm. as a child, which I'm not saying that there's not levels, but I think sometimes when we put kids at a certain level and just say, okay, you stay over there, you know, you don't talk about this, you kind of box them into a situation of, well, what can I talk about? What do I need to talk about? Mm -hmm. They're at a point where they're trying to gauge well, what's important and what's not important, and they don't have the maturity right. or the emotional support to do so Absolutely, you continuously shut them down. So I think it's important that you guys are there and there is that emotional mental health focus mm-hmm. where it's like these are how you deal with negative emotions because right. they happen. Right? Sometimes you do get angry yeah. and you might yell and you might kick a chair or something. How do we stop next time right. for that to happen? What was what what triggered that?
1: Right. Well, it's interesting. We, um, my youngest son, came over and did uh, a session with us uh, a couple of weeks ago. Really. And Fantastic. he he's a senior in high school, experiencing the uh, college application process yeah. and. He was just sharing with them, and they, oh my goodness, (laughs) they couldn't believe it that we we introduced them, and they went, well, hold up, wait a minute, he looks like a teenager. And Justin was like, well, I am a teenager, you know, and they couldn't believe that we actually had someone who wasn't very much older than than them them. come in to make a connection. And Justin was just really impressed with their ability to express themselves and to be articulate and to just, you know, ask questions and really engage in a way that meant something. Right. And it wasn't just them right. reading off a script and saying, oh, I'm supposed to ask him this. Right. I mean, they were right, interested right. in what his favorite color was, you know, what his favorite superhero was. What's your favorite candy? I mean, it's like at that age, that's important to right. them. But right. that was also an opportunity to make a connection, right. you know. Um, and and that <laughs> he enjoyed himself so much more. But what he was really impressed with, because... You know, because there are only 10 kids, and we've got at least three, sometimes four adults in that space with them on, at any given time, we can put things in place that a school teacher might not be able right. to do with 20 plus kids and just her or right. him in the classroom. Right, right. And so, because my brain is always thinking about social and emotional right. growth and learning, we got, got some armbands, and they're emotional hmm. armbands. We have bow with yellow armbands, the little rubber. Yeah. Uh, we have green, and we have red. Okay. And so we did a talk to help them understand. Red, of course, symbolizes when you're having a rough time. You might even be angry or you might be sad. Something's not going quite right. And being, you know, having that emotion might stop you from participating or learning Mm -hmm. like you should, and you really need to talk with someone when you're in that space emotionally. We have yellow for them kind of being in between and maybe a little flat, but, you know, nothing that's gonna cause them to, Act out or do anything inappropriate or detrimental, but then green, of course, symbolizes that you're in a good space. Doesn't have to be happy. We have to identify that doesn't have to be somebody jumping up and down. I'm happy, okay. but that you you're okay with yourself. You feel pretty mm. good, and helping them each examine what that looks like for them. And so when we started the process, when they first come in, you know, like hey, get the color, and it, at one point, a couple of them got red, and we were like, okay, what's going on? And they were frustrated. I think they had come from a field trip, and they were just a little bit flustered, and they expressed that. I'm wow. like, "Are we, we going to be able to participate? Can we move on?" And oh, they were like, "Fine." And before you knew it, they were like, "Let me get yellow. You know, nice. I'm good now. You know." Nice. And to help them understand the importance of keeping their own pulse emotionally, nice. to say, "You know what? I'm I'm feeling like I need a red band, and what will that do for the rest of this right. experience? Or what will that do for me while I'm learning math?" How will that impact me while I'm trying to read? That's good. And so it's a, a level of awareness that we're trying to promote, which is really the competencies of yeah. social and emotional learning, right. just that ability to be self aware of how you feel and how you think and how you behave and how that impacts you right. and the people around you, you know? Because if we all lived in bubbles, right. none of that would matter, right. you know? Um, and I think that's the part that kind of separates social and emotional learning from mental health treatment. You know, when you're mental health treatment, you're talking about you're addressing specific symptoms and you're trying to really, you know, decrease ADHD symptoms or, you know, improve mood disorder or whatever. This stuff, everybody has emotions. Everybody feels happy, sad, angry, you know, and to have the opportunity to uh, have the vocabulary to express these emotions and even give these emotions a an emoji, you know, Um, we, (laughs) I'm not getting off topic because we did a mock trial with attorney Richard Rice. He came over and the kids learned about the different roles in the courtroom, district attorney, prosecutors, and uh, the clerk and the uh, bailiff. And so we, they learned a lot and we set up uh, the actual mock trial. Well, we, the scenario was, Happy emoji. I was happy emoji, of course. Shocking. Was at the um, emoji fall fest. Okay. And angry emoji mm. came up and stole my joy, knocked down all my snacks out of my oh, hand, wow. and I had a fit. And so the adults, Dr. Gray, was angry emoji, and I was happy. <laughs> and the kids, they love the transparency. We right. were really just having fun. They saw us being right. human. Right. But it was interesting because I just knew that. I was gonna win the case. Right. I'll just that up, too. They empathized with Angry Emoji because Angry Emoji said, Hey, you know what? I didn't do it. She thought it was me. She actually got into it with confused emoji or some other emoji. Uh-huh. And they gave her a chance. They said, You know what? We really think Angry was just being um, accused of something that she didn't do wow. and was just she was just your fall guy. <laughs> and I was I couldn't believe it but they understood and wow. can probably empathize because they've been put in situations like right. that before and right. labeled and said okay this is who you are this is who you always will be right. and so it's an opportunity for them to kind of dissect and relate and empathize In to play. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It was so much fun. That's it was so was a cool <laughs> so concept. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. It was. So they yeah, they get an opportunity to combine, you know, a higher level of thinking with an awareness of self. Yeah. That really our goal is to see them grow That's and exciting. thrive, you know, That's to really exciting. start to just thrive. And hopefully it'll catch on. Right. You know, we well, would right. love to see this um, grow and go into other areas and other schools.
0: I think so my little guy is at a school, is at a, at a preschool, where they have um, uh, differently able children mm-hmm. along with um, regular kids, okay. and so it's, it's a really cool concept to me because I didn't really have a lot of kids in my classroom that looked differently mm-hmm. than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they exist, <laughs> you know, but we do tend to take them out of a regular setting yeah. and put them and kind of separate and isolate those kids. And so it's interesting to me because my little guy he's he's in a room full of people who look different Mm you know it's all ethnicities and races and abilities right and um for him it's nothing for a kid to be in a wheelchair because he goes to school with one yeah and um what i feel his teacher is um is actually a special education teacher and so the i think the whole concept is to kind of mix the kids in together because they can all learn from each other Mm -hmm. And he's technically a peer helper but i feel like for him it just helped him cuz he was a really shy kid. Wow. And I see how he talks and they talk about emotions in there because mm-hmm. they have kids that need help with emotional but all kids. Yes. He's 3 and you know, exactly. they're 3 or 4 years old, so you know, we try to talk about emotions, but again, I don't necessarily have that background. That would help me to talk about it in a way like that, mm-hmm. like the classroom setting, like you just did or the courtroom setting. And um, It's helped me because when he does something, because they have happy choices or unhappy choices, and so if they make an unhappy choice, it's when you got to go sit by yourself. And so one day he told me, he said, oh, one of my friends, he made an unhappy choice and Mm -hmm. he had to sit by himself. And I said, oh, I said, so are you making happy choices? And he said, "Yes." so when he starts to act out, and out of all of our kids, he's the most dramatic kid, Um, So when he starts to act out, I'm like, are you making a happy choice? It's helped me verbalize to him about his choices and he'll say, no, I'm not. Sometimes it works really well. He doesn't have a complete meltdown and sometimes it doesn't. Wow. But the fact that it helps me when I have a kid like him who was already a little bit more shy Mm -hmm. and who has all these really big emotions to be so small and didn't know how to express it but they're expressing it at school so for him now it's like normal because what my mom was talking about it's just mom and right. now he's going into two different environments and like how powerful would that be if every kid Absolutely. had an opportunity for not only to be at home but to be at school mm-hmm. where you're talking about not just like these are bad emotions but how do i deal with that right and how everybody has bad emotions yeah like, sometimes we just feel like, well, you're, it's just you. You're the E or you're having a bad day. No, right. we all experience some, some sort of loss or frustration, sometimes several times a day. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the downfalls of the way we see education right? period in America, whether it's private or public, Montessori or whatever, to understand that uh-huh. even though kids are students in those settings, the real goal is, don't you want them to just be a good person? Right. You know I mean? That's <laughs> Right. You know, and I really, for me, it, it got to be more and more personal um, because my two boys are like night and day. And it, the dynamics at home, my, my oldest, Miles, was just that perfect student like i mean teachers he that's how i ended up putting them in uh, a different private setting he was making 125 on his report cards and wow. every and i mean just that kid that everybody was just like oh we love him we love him and he was self-driven right and i didn't have to work hard to motivate him or do anything like that right my second child, Justin, was just cut from a completely different cloth and made me be a mama. Right. You know, I had to go in and try to figure out, you know, how he learned best and figure out other ways, mnemonic devices, all types of stuff. He's, um, he played drums. And I told him, I said, uh-huh. if rhythm and music is something that helps you learn, you have to tap out some things right. and figure out, you know, what rhythm helps you memorize or remember stuff. And so I had to work a lot harder to the point where. I was an athletic mom, too. They did basketball, okay. lacrosse, track, cross country, oh. Lord, it was exhausting. Sure. So when Miles finally now. started driving, I, I felt like I could just take a break. Right. And so that was like two years, Miles was running them all over the place and, and pretty much now that it's just Justin and I at home, Justin relied so much on Miles you yeah. know, as a, as a role model and as a leader, he still calls him away in college. They communicate and and at one point I was laughing and teasing, I said, dude, you did a horrible job raising your brother, come back home, I I have to be mama again, you know, and it's it's interesting but I learned that at one point I was at all types of award ceremonies, Miles got this award, this, Mm -hmm. that and the other and then I'm looking like Justin wasn't getting those same accolades and those same um, honors. But Justin's personality. Justin has so much going for himself right. that we don't really value. There's not an award right. ceremony that says, "Hey, this kid is a really good friend and right. will do whatever it takes to support right. their friend." Right. But there's nobody saying that. That's what makes that's you an valuable. awesome person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And so, even in his process of applying for college um, and writing his college essay, I'm like, you know what? Adversity has shaped you. Mm-hmm. He's had a concussion from playing lacrosse. He's had wow. some issues um, you know, was on the varsity team but rode the bench the whole time. You know, oh, so he's oh. had a lot of things that have happened that taught him some real life lessons and have shaped him right. to a point where Guess what? Any college would be should be honored to take a Justin who right. has rumbled and been through right. some stuff because when he gets there, he can wash his own clothes, <laughs> he can cook his own meal. Right. He's ready. Right. Whereas that kid who has a four-point plus and a 36 on the ACT, right. who doesn't really know how to deal with failure and adversity, is going to crumble. You know, at that right. you know away from home, right. no support right. in place. Right. And so, um, I've just learned to look at things differently and value different areas and strengths right. you know and look at it as strengths and needs versus right. deficits or right. strengths and weaknesses Right. you know
0: I'm, I'm learning that because you just described my, my biological son and my stepson wow. my stepson and I told you he's like everybody just loves him He wow. just, just great in school and he's just you know and it's not that Dale is not bright he is bright but he's so bright and inquisitive like he gets stuck mm. like well why are we doing this and why this and I mean uh, we were watching um, National Geographic channel last night, I don't know many, he's been watching that since he was like four or five and yeah. he'd sit there and he'd watch and he'd ask all these questions and um, the show that we were watching was in like an investigative channel, mm. like all these animals and stuff were doing weird behaviors and so they were trying to figure out why they were doing these behaviors <laughs> So we sat there and watched some of it was because of little things like it rained a lot, there was a lot of bugs and so a bunch of spiders came out and made this huge spider web like all over this tree mm. in, this, in this certain area and um, we were just talking about the whys, like why you know certain animals were dying and washing up on, on the beach and stuff. And so the way his mind works is a why, mm-hmm. why, 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 why. And so it is hard for him to do exactly what he's told, yeah. which can be frustrating. Yeah. And I get that even for his teachers, because I get frustrated. <laughs> um, but realistically, when he asks certain things, I'm like, never thought about that. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and he's such a people person. Mm-hmm. Um, if, IF YOU JUST MEET HIM, he's, HE'S REALLY COMFORTABLE AROUND ADULTS. AND THAT'S BECAUSE, YOU KNOW, I WAS A SINGLE MOM FOR TWO YEARS wow. BEFORE I MET MY HUSBAND. AND SO, WELL, I KNEW MY HUSBAND BEFORE THAT, BEFORE WE ACTUALLY DECIDED TO BECOME A COUPLE um, <laughs> AND MAKE IT LIKE SOMETHING FOR REAL. Um, IT WAS JUST ME AND HIM, AND HE WAS SURROUNDED BY WOMEN. Mm. SO, um, HE TALKS A LOT. HE VERBALIZES A mm-hmm. LOT OF THINGS THAT HE'S FEELING AND THINKING. Wow. More SO than MY STEPSON, WHO WAS, OF COURSE, YOU KNOW, RAISED BY MY HUSBAND. Wow. AND SO, um. I just find it interesting because he can kind of express himself a little bit more and in depth and the level of his thinking just because he was always around words Mm -hmm. because women talk more than men. Oh, yeah. Um, Very expressive. (laughs) And so is he. You know, and some of the things that I feel like, um, because I I always worried about that with his male peers because I'm like, of the things that I see as positives are positives because I'm a woman right and I was always worried in his male peer group like are these going to be positives are they going to make fun of him because he does talk so much or too much sometimes um you know but because he is so savvy in the way he talks he's been able to navigate some things that I was worried about well necessarily yeah you know and so I agree with that I think sometimes we try to make our kids be exactly the same Mm -hmm. but they're not. And just like the kids that you come across with, you know, at North, they all have different personalities and different backgrounds. Oh, There's yeah. A lot of stuff we just don't even understand. Mm-hmm. When you see a kid, you have no idea the layers that are behind them. Oh, yeah. Um, the different things that they've seen and experienced. Hey, guys, I wanted to talk a little bit about ACEs. ACEs um, is Adverse Childhood Experiences. And I'm getting this information from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration excuse me, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, and that's SAMHSA. Um, Adverse childhood experiences are a significant risk factor for substance use disorders and can impact prevention efforts. Um, adverse childhood experiences are stressful or traumatic events, including abuse and neglect. They may also include a household dysfunction, such as witnessing dis- domestic violence, or growing up with family members who have substance use disorders. Aces are strongly related to the development and prevalence of a wide range of health problems throughout a person's lifespan, including those associated with substance misuse. It is also sometimes tied into a shorter lifespan um, and mental illness as well um, and so helping kids kind of navigate not just their emotions but um, navigate some of the things that are really bothering them as far as things that are going on in their household and having a safe adult to talk to um, and being able to get the resources that they need is extremely extremely important so here's some information about um, suicide attempts ACEs in any category increase the risk of attempted suicide by two to five fold throughout a person's lifespan. Exposure to ACEs may increase the risk of experiencing depressive disorders well into adulthood. Sometimes decades after the ACE occurred, it increases higher risk sexual behaviors, Fetal deaths attributed to adolescent pregnancy may result from underlying ACEs. Um, It hurts um, pregnancy outcomes. There's also physical health outcomes um, that are kind of dealing with some of these um, disorders or behaviors that have been done to the child. So I just wanted to talk about, you know, why I am so passionate about this wellness goes well, well, well beyond just. you know, talking to a therapist and all these and all these things that we typically think about wellness. Um, as a community, it is important that we tackle these issues because these are people in our community. These are community members, and if we're not able to find a solution for how they deal with their problems. All of these other negative things are they don't just happen in a bubble. Even if you are not negatively affected by a crime or things of that nature that may result um, from this individual, you are, you know, um, in their tax, you know, and through taxes and other things that may come about. Um, So it's just very important. Number one, for me as a Christian to think about everybody as my neighbor and two, there are practical reasons as well, like I just mentioned, why it's important for us as a community to deal with these issues head on, because it's not somebody else's issue, it's our issue as well. I remember I worked at a, um, a Boys and Girls Club as an education director for a summer, which was the hardest job. Kids don't want to learn this sometimes. And I was an outsider, I was not from the community. Wow. Um, here I come in there, hello guys, wait a minute, who are you? <laughs> You're not from around <laughs> exactly. here. Exactly. You know, and I remember when I interviewed for the job, the um, the director of the center said, these kids will eat you alive. Mm. And I took it as a personal challenge. I was wow. like, no they're not. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult. And I don't mean because of the kids, I mean because of everything around yeah, them. Yeah, the culture. Everything yeah. around them. You know, I had a, a group of kids, it was like 10, 10 to 12 kids they were like third, third through fifth grade. But my fifth grader was reading on a second grade level. My third grader was reading on a fifth grade level. Mm. You know, I had some kids who weren't really reading. Yeah. So how are we supposed to do this together? And it made me think about our school system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because even though these kids are different grades, there are different abilities in every classroom. And so it really challenged me to look at teaching differently. And um, we talked earlier um, off I was gonna say camera Uh, off recording (laughs) um, about compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of touch on that um, and then talk a little bit about the two videos that I saw and kind of wrap up the discussion a little bit. Um, But what? How do you define compassion fatigue and what does that tend to look like, or what can it look like? Oh yeah,
1: compassion fatigue. Let me define it by the way it actually manifests and looks. Um, It can actually look and feel like depression you know it can actually look and feel like type 2 diabetes I mean and it actually affect your blood sugar level high blood pressure um, because it's a level of stress that is toxic to a point where your body is not really functioning at its best anymore and we haven't been taught or trained to put in place the coping skills and coping mechanisms necessary to handle compassion fatigue and it's interesting because I started doing research um, about just emotions and issues social and emotional issues with educators you know we're focused so much on the kids but um, you can't pour from an empty Bottle, Right. You know, and teachers are working in environments where the, the students are traumatized right. and environments where trauma has taken place in yeah. that environment, right. like at Huffman High School. Mm-hmm. And um, we're just still going through the emotions, and, you know, and the motions of just every day. Mm-hmm. And it gets to a point where you hit a brick wall. You hit a brick wall. Right. You're not being as productive as you used to. Right. Grading paper it seems like the, the worst thing you could possibly imagine and you have a stack of work <laughs> right. to do and you know right. it's there and you, there's nothing you can do to actually do what bit, you need right. to do and, and actually do your job and do it all, mostly you do, you show up. You show up, you get there and that's the best you can do sometimes. Right. And so when your level of stress and your emotionality gets to a point where you're not being functional, some area of life, your level of functioning is at an all time low. Um, That's compassion fatigue. I think most people parallel it with teacher burnout. I think when we talked earlier, I'm like, that implies that there's something that the teacher is doing wrong. (laughs) When the reality is it's a combination of the culture, the environment, and everything going on around there and not having the level of support required to help them get beyond that space and when we're not able to even identify it and recognize it as such. Um, I, I did a workshop about educator self-care at uh, Arrington Middle School, hmm. and we talked about how the school culture is, you start the year out looking for the next right. vacation. Mm-hmm. You start out August 3rd, and you're like, okay, when's the next, when we get out of school again? You know, you, and we start Monday looking forward to Friday, right. and so the expectation there is really low. You know, it's the expectation that nobody's happy in this field, nobody really wants to be here. Nobody is is thrilled about what they're doing. And so um, the beginning is recognizing it and acknowledging it and giving it a name and saying, okay, wow, compassion fatigue, what does that actually look like? Let's really examine this. Let's have a conversation about what it looks and feels like for you. Because of course, it's on an individual basis. Um, And if you're at that point, what can you do to begin to work through it? Yeah. You know, um, you know. in our community, we look at mm-hmm. therapy as mm-hmm. you got to be out of your mind right. of go and sit in front of a stranger and stranger. share. But for me, I had to learn that that was... The best thing I could possibly Absolutely. do was go and sit with the therapist Absolutely. to begin to unpack my bag. Absolutely. Because, and that's the irony of that is that teachers, educators, we carry bags. Like we literally right, have right, bags right. and bags, and now right. we have rollers. Right. It's like stuff all the time books, papers, and everything. And that's just a part of the culture. It's nothing to see a teacher carrying three or four right, bags. Right. And in reality, is emotionally, that's what we look like on the inside as well. And we don't ever really unpack our bags. We didn't manage the stress. and. Here's the interesting thing. People in the community come in and show support and they bring muffins and they bring donuts. They might even bring some chicken wings. But guess what? That's not helping the problem. Right. That they're, they're saying, oh yeah, you guys deal with this all day long. Yeah, let's bring something good to eat. Right, right. And a lot of us, that is our coping strategy. We look forward to going and get that 10 piece and ranch fries you know, at lunchtime or after school. Right. It's like, oh, it's been a rough kind of day. Right, right. Or here are the things that people don't really want to identify as teachers end up going to the ABC store, not right. the one for educators, <laughs> but the state store. And I right. and, you know, I'm certain there's some type of data around the show that a first year teacher probably may not have, you know, may have considered themselves a social drinker, mm. but before the end of that first year, they may actually be self medicating with that alcohol. You know, and so it to recognize that compassion fatigue is real right. and that it doesn't take 25 years of teaching for you to get there. Because mm-hmm. the, of the way the school is set up now and what the kids are experiencing on the outside and bringing in, right. then it can happen really quickly. Right. Within the first year of teaching, right. a teacher can experience compassion fatigue, especially if there's something traumatic that takes place in the school or in the community. Right. So it's an opportunity to start having a discussion and talking and making words like I'm emotionally exhausted or talking about stress levels and talking about how it actually impacts your home hormones to a point where mm-hmm. you're rocking around with adrenaline levels that are just unhealthy because wow. you're in a so state of stress, that, yeah. you know, your cortisone, whatever it is. Um, and that is not something that you actually have to go directly to a therapist. You can have your therapist but that can be a part of the culture in that setting right. to say, you know, we talk about this thing, we recognize that it's real, we know how it right. feels. And if you're there, we're gonna not only refer you to someone for just you, but in this space, right. we're gonna provide you with this safe setting where you can go and do some deep breathing mm-hmm. and do some meditation right. or mindfulness. There are a lot of schools now that incorporate mindfulness into the curriculum. Wow. So students, teachers, everybody has that opportunity to That's come right. in and be aware of simply, where's my breath right now in my body? You know, the opportunity just to kind of shut down everything. My therapist, she always talks about, we walk around with these little trauma centers in our hands, Uh our phones. We have, you know, all types of notifications and dings constantly, you know, so if there's a crisis somewhere, it's impacting all of us because everybody's alert and And alarmed. Something happened at UAB. You're like, oh, my God, did you hear about You know, and it totally offsets whatever is actually taking place in that moment. So the opportunity to be mindful and be present in the moment, we don't even value it because we're constantly even looking for that distraction. We've come to a place, I think, culturally where we... We enjoy the distraction. You know, it's we almost of... sometimes look for that heightened emotionality. Oh my God! Do you right. hear what just happened? The shooting of twelve people at that club, right. and that starts your day off. Right. You have that s- conversation right. with coffee, and what right, does that really do? About... Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And so, I'm, I'm part of the work that I do is really setting up self-development workshops for educators and other professionals to simply have conversations and begin to examine where we are. You know, I can't come there and say, tell them anything I haven't experienced already. Right. And knowing that I was in the throes of compassion fatigue before I left right. um, my career of 17 right. years. Right. And so really just have, it's creating the opportunity to have the conversation and then facilitating and guiding that conversation in a direction right. that will be fruit bearing right. and, you know, promote wellness and to right. shift the culture bit by bit you know, <laughs> every something.
0: time, <laughs> every time we get to like a really deep. Y'all are probably listening like, dang, are they in a library or at Walmart? Because
1: that did sound like
0: a shopping like cart. <laughs> oh, I think it's interesting because that's a conversation I I haven't really. Well, I kind of did have. I told you I was doing the no news November thing, but it's like 24-hour news is not really good for us because mm-hmm. every every bit of news is negative. Mm-hmm. Oh, so and so many people lost their jobs. This place is closing. No more Toys oh, yeah. R Us. you know, yeah. what I'm like all these different things. And, you know, we get conditioned to look for the negative. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard. Like you said, you're starting your day off with this death of 12 people mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And then you go in, and then if you do any sort of work where you're faced with people. Yeah you're bringing all of that with you without you even knowing Mm -hmm. it sometimes like sometimes I'm sitting there because I work in a setting uh, where I'm a coordinator uh, with behavioral health and so sometimes like I'm already dealing with individuals that today is probably the worst day for them Mm -hmm. and I gotta figure out how to separate my worst day Mm -hmm. from myself and also somebody else's worst day because I just read about your worst day so like it just compounds all of these negative feelings and so i'm not saying like be completely cut off but right. i do think understanding your triggers mm-hmm. understanding what this is actually doing because these are conversations we don't even have right like right know, right we all get the news on our phone yeah. we all i mean and so we just sit there we just read it mindlessly yeah mindlessly okay yeah 12 people die. and then what ends up happening is when 20 people die mm-hmm. it's like well you know did 12 people just yeah die? It desensitize turns into, yeah, yeah yeah the body count no longer matters right and so, what I did try to do was, with um, the last shooting that I knew of um, at the synagogue, mm. was I really did try to to look at, because I'm like, it's not fair that so many bad things happen that I feel like I can't know who you were. Right. That's not fair. Yeah. But then at the same time, I'm like, I'm trying to protect me, I, I, I end up trying to balance <laughs> Fairness. Yeah. Because it's not fair to myself, but it's not fair to this individual who yeah. I never knew, but now I'm impacted vicariously mm-hmm. by. Mm-hmm. And so, like, how do we deal with that? And, like, I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing this work because there's a vacuum.
1: Yeah. And it's major been here. Yeah.
0: Been here. Because we ha- we've always had trauma in our communities. Mm. We just called it different things. Oh yeah. You know, Uncle Mar he just touched. Oh uh, well, you know he he just like messed with little girls. Yeah. With different things. We just call it different things, but mm-hmm. that's trauma. That's trauma. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and we, and just, we make it socially acceptable. Right. In our community, I was in a meeting with a, uh, a grandmother who's raising her grandson, uh, who was sexually molested, mm. and she said even though he's a boy, it happened to all of us. And she normalized those Mm. experiences. She was just like, that's just kind of like a part of growing up is that's going to happen. You deal with it, keep it moving. And Mm. in her mind, she did it. I managed and had your mama and now I'm raising you, you know. And so to a point where dysfunction becomes the norm, you know, and and the expectation, again, is so low. Everybody's going to be sexually abused. That's just how we're raised, you know, and that's. That's heartbreaking. Right. That's devastating. Because
0: you don't even think about protection or protective factors right. at that point. Right. Because what am I protecting you from? No. Nothing. Right. Because so this is this something is you
1: can't. Yes. Right. It's is, like riding
0: right. a bike and skinning your knee. Right. Right. It's just part of riding a bike. Yeah. So yeah. how I guess like having these conversations, I think it helps to bring the bar up right. slightly. Right. Right. Um. So how do people get in contact with you? Well,
1: <laughs> this is my first plug. It's interesting. It, you know, we talked earlier. If it's self-promotion, is just not something that comes naturally. You know, right. it feels a little pretentious for me to go, hey, hit me up at CamilleUnderwoodConsulting.com. <laughs> you know, check out my website. Culturally, you know, we, we right, and I'm a little old school, even though I vowed never to use that word again. It does feel different to self-promote and understand that, guess what? I am offering a product, and it's my product. It's right. something from me. It's, it's a lot easier to promote Adidas or Nike <laughs> or Sprite right, or Coke, right, 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 you know, right. but the connection is this is organic. You know, this yeah. is me offering a service that I have created and developed out of my own experiences right. as a mental health worker, as a single mother of two black boys as a sister, daughter, friend. Right. Um, all the hats and rolls that I've worn, I've been able to compile enough information to try to facilitate conversations mm-hmm. right. that help people bring out things that they might need to deal with, whether they deal with it in that support set, uh, setting or system, or go see a therapist. But, you know, there's an opportunity just to say, hey, this is an area we need to look at right. and really work on and help shift the culture in a positive direction. Right. So, Camille Underwood, Consulting.com, okay. Camille Underwood Consulting at gmail.com is okay. the email. Um, you can just email me or um, Check out the website. There's an opportunity to put your information, contact information, on the website, and I'll reach back out to you. Okay,
0: wonderful. And I will also put that in the description thank of the podcast. Awesome. So, yeah, so, so you don't even have to do full self-promotion; oh, it'll good. already be. Awesome. But get, it's so practice. No, right, is good. Right, practice. Right. Right. It, it right It helps. It helps. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. Thank I really you, Renee. It. This has been Great. fun. Yeah. I'll tell
1: you. I mean, I did get anxious from time to time. As soon as we put the mics on, I felt my anxiety level increase, and I'm like, we were this just having a conversation, and things. then we put the mic on, and it's like, oh. We're recording, you know? It's a beautiful conversation that I
0: feel people need to have more often. And hopefully, people listening will have this conversation in their own circles. Um, Honestly, I would like to do a community conversation around this. So Mm -hmm. maybe this is something we can work on. Yeah, definitely. It's necessary work. Absolutely. Mm Totally, you know, sponsored by Camille Underwood. <laughs> I'll bring the donuts and right, the water. <laughs> look, I can bring the water. look you just bring can Look, you know, I'm on I'm a budget. I ain't working for myself just yet. I so that's right, I can bring you some water. And Walmart has a sale, I think, right now. But anyway, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Renee. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for checking out another edition of her talks with Camille Underwood. Please check Camille Underwood out at Camille Underwood um, She obviously has first hand experience with the education system. Um, she knows the ins and outs about personally how teachers would feel, how those working within the school system would feel and some really great techniques to deal with compassion fatigue and to deal with, um, changing culture, because really that's what this is about. It's about changing the culture of the school, changing the mindsets of students, as well as the employees that work there. So, um, again, check Camille out and I'll see you on another edition of her talks. See you next week.